Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. As the market category for sales enablement and really revenue enablement continues to grow, evolve, and become a strategic differentiator in an organization's ability to drive revenue growth, what should companies be thinking about? What are the mistakes revenue teams make in their approach to enablement? We tackle this topic and learn so much more in this episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast with Eli Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of Saleshood. Eli was the Senior VP of Sales Productivity at Salesforce during a period of growth where they were onboarding 50 to 100 sales reps every two weeks. Every two weeks. The company grew from $500 million in revenue to over $3 billion. So grateful for Eli's time and for sharing his perspective on how to power the revenue engine. So excited to be here today with Eli Cohen, the co-founder and CEO of Saleshood. Prior to founding Saleshood in 2013, Eli was the Senior Vice President of Sales Productivity at Salesforce, enabling the team during a period of growth where the company grew from $500 million in revenue to over $3 billion. For anyone who is not familiar with Saleshood, Saleshood is the leading all-in-one sales enablement platform designed to help organizations reduce time to ramp, increase quota attainment, and accelerate sales velocity. Hypergrowth companies like Demandbase, Drift, RingCentral, Telium, United Way, and Yext use Saleshood to drive growth and better revenue outcomes. So welcome, Eli, and thank you so much for joining me. Super excited to share your story and learn from your journey. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the warm welcome. Thank you. So let's start by talking a little bit about your journey prior to Saleshood. So you have had an impressive career in both product management, you know, both Oracle and at Salesforce prior to moving into more of a sales productivity role. So can you share a little about your career journey in product management and then maybe how that led to the sales productivity role at Salesforce? Yeah, I I love building and I've been fortunate to have a, a kind of a creative builder mind and, and been given great opportunities to build products. And, uh, you know, I moved to San Francisco because I wanted to get close to tech and I wanted to build internet solutions and internet products way, way back when. And, um, and so I, I started my career as a product manager here in Silicon Valley. And, uh, and fortunately, uh, Salesforce came knocking on my door after, you know, while I was at Oracle and they said, Hey, we hear you're the PRM person, partner relationship management. That was my mm-hmm. specialization before I really dove into sales enablement. And, and so what was interesting about my early days at Salesforce was that as a product manager, uh, I was very sales focused, very sales minded. My dad taught me how to sell. My dad taught me the importance of coaching. And so as I was building the product and as we were launching it, I was rolling up my sleeves with the sales teams, with the RVPs. And I got recognized by Mark Benioff. And he, after we launched a product, he calls me up at an all-employee meeting and says, let's recognize Eli Cohen, one of the 
best product launches ever. And, uh, and, you know, it was, you know, it was a big deal back then and, uh, to be recognized. It was awesome. And then he said, and now we're going to promote Eli to vice president of sales (laughs) enablement. And, uh, and, and I think it was a a super interesting time. Uh, but, uh, because uh, I had done such a good job enabling the teams around, uh, uh, selling this product, the organization felt like I'd be suited to help build this new role uh, all around sales enablement, sales productivity. And that was kind of how I got into it. Amazing. Amazing. So you spent five years really leading sales and partner productivity at Salesforce during a period, I'm, I'm sure, of significant growth, right, both in headcount and in revenue. So what are some of the, the key achievements or lessons learned from that time in that role? And how did that experience you know, lead you to your decision to create saleshood? Yeah, I listen. I was very fortunate, you know, from from that from standing on that stage and being recognized and being promoted to literally getting called into Mark Benioff's office within a few days and uh, and being you know kind of taught and guided and coached. Here's what sales enablement should could look like for us. Here's why sales enablement is important to us at Salesforce.com. And and in those early years, we were we were maniacally focused on growth. And Mark had a vision, and his vision was, let's get the teams aligned on messaging, let's make sure everybody is conversationally competent, and let's make sure that no matter where you are in the world, folks are following the right sales plays, and folks are like on message with his message. And, and that was his vision for winning. And he said, and oh, by the way, we're going to keep hiring and hiring and hiring. And so I think really embracing messaging alignment as a way to drive top level revenue growth was one of my big lessons, one of my big amazing uh, lessons and, and being able to work closely with Mark and, and the leadership team, Frank Van Bienedahl and Jim Steele, Linda Crawford. It was amazing to be able to really, you know, we, we, we did sales enablement. It was like the first time folks were doing this. And, uh, uh, and, and I guess just the last thing is, uh, you know, to think that we were onboarding between 50 to 100 people every two weeks. Oh my I just, goodness. I just want you to internalize that. And, <laughs> and so, so we had to, we had to bring them in, get them coached, get them trained, get them certified. And then we had to let them go in the fields. And then we had to follow them around and make sure that they were continuously being enabled. A huge feat. That was a crazy, crazy time. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine 50 to a hundred every two weeks. Yeah. It's like a whole company and a whole small company. Every right. few and, weeks. And, but it paid off, right? Like yeah. look at Salesforce and look at the investments they made in enabling their teams. And by the way, it came from the CEO, right? And so that was a big lesson. Sales enablement is a top line revenue, uh, can be a top line revenue grower, will be a top line revenue when you've got alignment across the C-suite. And that was a big lesson that I learned, which really kind of started guiding me to, you know what, this is this is something, there, there, there needs to be a platform for this, was kind of that first moment of clarity for me back in 2012 before I left. Got it. So so that kind of leads me into the next question then. So when you and your co-founder, Arthur Doe, is it Doe? Yeah, Arthur Doe. Yeah, Arthur Doe decided to start you know, in business together. Like, What was the initial goal or vision for the company? And how has that changed right over time? Because it's been, like, you, to your point, sales enablement has evolved quite a bit. So how, how has that totally. vision changed, that, if at all? Right. So like just 2008, if you Google uh, sales enablement, there's no, no one was even searching for it in 2007 when we were starting down that path. In, mm. in 2012 and 2013, when I started realizing that there is an opportunity and there's, 
there's a white space in the market to provide a repeatable, scalable solution to help companies uh, boost the productivity of their teams using technology, using video, using data, using mobile, using peer-to-peer. Like that was something that was I was like I had this clear vision of what that of what that could and should be. And you know, after I left Salesforce, I started speaking with other leaders with with technologists, and I was really fortunate to get introduced to Arthur. And you know, when I sat down with Arthur during that very first meeting after we got introduced. You know, he said, okay, what do you, what, what, what saleshood? I, I had the name, right? And, uh, <laughs> and I said, saleshood is a platform that's going to help organizations replicate success at scale. And, and, and it's going to be outcome-based and it's going to be a video learning, video coaching, video sharing platform, but it's going to replicate people's best practices. Mm-hmm. And, 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 oh, by the way, no one else knows how to do it. And, and I'm, I'm saying that super humbly because we did it at a scale that no one has ever seen. Right. And so we're going to take all the best practices from the processes and the programs that we ran at Salesforce, and we're going to package it up into a platform so we can basically democratize sales enablement around the world. And he said, I'm in. Let's do it. That's amazing. And, and we've been together ever since. Wow, that is amazing. Um, so you've obviously seen sales enablement from really from nothing and not really being known until now, right? And now it's like one of the hottest areas for sure. Everybody's talking about enablement and engagement and everything else, you know, even RevOps. So, you know, what have, right. what have you sort of seen in the market, right, in terms of trends? Like, how have you seen it? You touched, you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, how have you seen it evolve and kind of where do you see it going? Right. So, so at a macro level, when we started, when we started sharing people, kind of the giving people access and having instant, when we were talking to some VCs in the early days, when we were considering taking funding, when we were speaking with, with some, some folks, folks kind of look at us funny, like, <laughs> what? You think salespeople are going to log in and record their videos like in a system and get feedback from their, who's going to do that, right? Folks were very, very skeptical. No, I knew that would work because we did it at Salesforce, but we did it manually. And I knew that the impact that it could have if you did it properly. And so, you know, kind of think about that skepticism and think about kind of the pushbacks that we would get to now what people are talking about when they say sales enablement and sales enablement platforms, they're talking about outcomes, right? Just like your dog. They're talking about outcomes. (laughs) They're talking about, you know, the big trend that we're seeing today is, you know, the investments that we're making in sales enablement. They need to have proven proven ROI and proven outcomes. So I think we've gone from skepticism to to uh, to outcome-based sales enablement systems. I think folks are also a lot more comfortable today with video than they were when we started six, seven, eight years, eight years ago when we started. And so, uh, um, you know, recording a video, sharing a video, getting feedback on your video. And, and so video sharing, and, and I think what's happened with the pandemic has also accelerated that whole uh, aspect of folks leaning into video. And then finally, I'll say, you know, the big, the big trend, and especially now with the pandemic, I think asynchronous learning and synchronous learning and asynchronous and synchronous collaboration, it's a really big trend. So in simple words, right, mm-hmm. folks used to fly people to Vegas, used to fly people to San Diego or whatever that location was and think a week long training is going to do it. And we were saying, actually, you got to do training and learning and coaching. And it needs to be a process that happens every single moment. Every moment is a learning moment. And so those are some of the big trends that we've seen. And uh, and it's been great to see it accelerate. All those trends have accelerated with the pandemic. Uh, and uh, And so those are some of the benefits of what's been happening. 
That's amazing. Yeah, definitely seeing a lot more video for sure. And everybody's kind of getting their backgrounds and such setup. <laughs> I sure. remember when there was a shortage of no cam. You couldn't buy a camera, a webcam anywhere. You remember? Yes, completely yeah. sold out. But I think people are getting more comfortable and they're getting, they're getting uh, you know, I think better at recording video messages. You know, I think LinkedIn even just released LinkedIn video prospecting inside their messaging app, which I think is amazing. Video is 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 the communication medium of the future. It's just, it, it's, it's happening now at a, at a scale that we never anticipated to happen so quickly. That's amazing. Um, so what are some of the, I guess, you know, talking about sales enablement, like what are some of the biggest yeah. mistakes, right, that you're seeing revenue teams make when they approach sales enablement? Right. So I, I started with the big trend saying that sales enablement is now all about outcomes, mm -hmm. revenue outcomes. Right. And so it's about, you know, being able to align, uh, you know, the programs and the investments that you're making uh, for sales enablement with the revenue outcomes. So you can actually measure the impact that it's having. That's kind of like the biggest trend that we're seeing. And it's huge. It's going to be even bigger in 21 and beyond. The biggest mistake companies face is not doing that mm -hmm. is by taking, you know, investing in sales enablement. And not and not aligning it with companies' go-to-market priorities, and not measuring the impact that their investments are making—it's a waste of money, right? Companies today are spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, um, investing in their people for training and coaching and playbooks, but for the most part, they aren't able to actually correlate the impact and know what's working and what's not working. And so, to me, that's the biggest mistake: don't waste money, don't spend money until you actually know the problem you're going to solve benchmark the problem and then uh, and and you know you know this right you've been mm. you're you're in RevOps and I'm like 100 percent <laughs> it's music right? to my ears right now <laughs> i think the, the i think RevOps and sales ops and sales enablement and revenue enablement it's all coming together and, and it's a beautiful thing it wasn't always kind of together when i was in salesforce they were they were separate they were siloed mm. uh now you know you got to work super closely together both teams and the data and the metrics and the KPIs and the impact will bring them even more, more closely together faster. That's right. That's awesome. So many enablement offerings, you know, kind of focus on one aspect, right? Learning, coaching, or messaging. But I know that your product focuses on all of the above. And you've actually talked about this even during our conversation right now. So can you share maybe a little bit more about sort of what your vision was or mission here? You know, how is your product differentiation? I mean, when has it really helped in accelerating revenue growth and sort of expanding your customer base? Right. Well, I appreciate the ask. And, and so from day one, uh, we've always been a purpose-built, all-in-one sales enablement platform. And, and, and our belief is that peer-to-peer uh, -peer knowledge sharing and that uh, uh, people will learn from the best. And so being able to replicate, replicate success uh, and, and really uh, being able to get teams to learn through micro-learning, micro-coaching, micro-assessments. And that's really been something that folks have been saying, wow, we love that, right? If I look at companies like Ring Central that we've been working with for over four years, you know, they've seen, you know, huge 20x increase in their stock price. And it's because they've leaned into enablement as a top-line revenue goal. And like Siobhan Thatcher will say, you know what, I love the micro learning and the micro coaching, and I love the ability to correlate that to performance outcomes, and uh, and I love it that it's purpose built for the use case of enabling my teams, and so that's been something that has been from day one, and and when folks look at Saleshood and they compare us to other systems out there or they look at other alternatives, what they say is the following, right? There's nothing out there like it. You know, it's bite sized. 
It's really easy to access on the mobile or the desktop, but there's something special about Saleshood. I think of the name Saleshood. It's a community. Mm-hmm. It's a neighborhood. It's, it's, it's salespeople learning from each other. And the peer-to-peer aspect is what stands out as unique that we have compared to, because it was purpose-built and from the ground up, because just from my experience at Salesforce, the idea that the teams were learning from each other, and that was one of the secrets of our success back in the day, I just wanted to provide a system to do that at scale. And that's what makes us unique. Thank you for asking. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Definitely want to highlight that. Um, If we talk about sort of this new way of selling from anywhere, Right. Because we've all been, you know, obviously impacted by COVID. You talked a little bit about the pandemic. You know, we're all affected from a business perspective as well as from a personal perspective. Right. Teams are now ramping, working, selling and trying to motivate remotely with this new way of selling. Like what advice do you have right, for organizations who maybe are struggling to train their teams, keep them engaged, keep them aligned? Like what are some of the top things that they should be thinking about? So. You know, I think I think it's important to be clear on on uh, you know what it is that you want to enable your teams on, and and so being able to clearly answer the why, and always, always, always the, the kind of the whiff of the what's in it for me, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a RevOps leader, or you're a sales enablement leader, or you're a CEO, and and you're getting ready to roll out a new pitch, or you're getting ready to roll out a new product, or you're getting ready to roll out whatever. You know, when you're communicating the why, I think that is what's going to get everybody to kind of line up, kind of do the work and really want to be motivated to kind of learn with you and and be enabled by the programs that you're rolling out. So I think I think it's so critical and it's so critical today, even more than ever, to really explain the why, because, you know, people have very short attention spans right now because everyone's remote and and all that. But uh, I think uh, I think also what I would be really focused on is. You know, whatever you're rolling out to your teams, whatever you're rolling out around the world, make sure that you are following these kind of best practices of learning today, right? Everything needs to be bite-sized. You want to make sure that you're creating uh, an experience for your people where they can learn a little bit at a time, but they also want to be able to learn it. It needs to be accessible. Uh, and, and, and then, and then when, they're, when they're going through their learning experience and when they're being enabled through your systems and through your tech and through your everything, just be mindful about that when you're creating the content, right? So you can't just create content in the old way. You got to create bite-sized content and make it available so folks can learn it in small little chunks and then access it when they need it most. And uh, and then remember, everyone's at home. And so they may learn in the morning. They may want to consume content in the evening. And so that's why it's even more important today to have a, uh, a real system that is purpose-built for these use cases. And uh, we've seen a huge uptick. In, in demand, we've seen a huge uptick on our website, we've seen a huge uptick in usage. Probably about a quarter after COVID, once people realized, oh, this isn't going away. Right. Okay, so now we've got to find a solution to get our teams aligned and enabled on an ongoing basis. It's amazing. You touched on all the points that I, I was actually recently doing a um, panel around adoption a little training session, like a 15 minute blurb around how to drive adoption. You touched on all the things about the bite-sized content, making sure that it's, you know, we answer the question of what's in it for me, you know, what's the value, why should they be doing it and really be crystal clear on that and then be able to have it real time and available for learning, right? Because people don't learn, it's not a once and done. So interesting. Well, good. So let's talk a little bit about customers. Right. Um, you know, as, as we all know, you know, buyers like me and you are expecting a lot more, right? Companies don't want a vendor. They want, they need a partner, right? Somebody who is going to help them be successful. 
And I know that Saleshood has over 50,000 users, right? You've got over 100 companies yep. leveraging the product. So what is your philosophy around, you know, driving customer success, driving customer value? And then how has that sort of helped contribute to revenue acceleration? Right. We, we, uh, we love our customers and, and, uh, and we believe our customers love us. We've got such a special community. And so, and I use the word community, you know, in, in the, in the right way. Like we've got a community where, where our customers are sharing knowledge, they're sharing best practices. We bring our people together, uh, synchronously, asynchronously. Like we, we use our own system to drive the community for, for our teams. Um, but, um, you know, I think if you were to talk to any of our customers and you'd ask them, you know, how is, what's the customer success program like and, and how does sales help you? I think you would hear universally saleshood rolls up their sleeves they're an extension of our team you know they're thought leaders they're showing us how enablement should be done and so uh you know kind of i left salesforce to enable uh, other companies to do enablement just like salesforce because i felt like we had to democratize sales enablement and so that value of being a true partner and being a thought leader to our customers and being with them there every step of the way is the ultimate like we're we're ultimately enabling the enablers right <laughs> and, and so that is that we have to be the best at it right because if we can't enable our own people then then how are they going to enable so so that's so i love it i love it you know there's there are a lot of great videos out there of our customers and our g2 reviews yeah. you know are also customers are really really pleased with with the experience that they have but uh yeah, no, they, uh, what else can I tell you about that one? I'm, uh, I'm super proud of what we've created. And, and my team is great, right? I think everyone, everyone at the team is, is a true thought leader. And so if you're a customer and if you're listening, thank you. Uh, if you're a customer and, and uh, you know, you should, you should be pushing us even more to give you more tips, more best practices, more cross-pollination of ideas uh, when appropriate. So that way you can achieve amazing revenue outcomes for your teams. That's great. I love that. I love that enabling the enabler. That is so true, right? You've got to be ahead of the game and really be the thought leader there. So, Yeah. And you can imagine, by the way, like just from a RevOps perspective yeah. and from a revenue growth perspective, like net retention has been great. I think uh, uh, the, the, you know, the add-on and the growth within our install base has been amazing. Uh, NPS is high. And so that just has the, has the, has the impact. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, no. but uh, I did want to touch on that point as well. So it's, it's to any founder or CEO out there that is really looking to lean in or not on the question of community, it pays dividends, yeah. dividends. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think G2 is kind of the best, the best awards to win, right? Because that is truly from your customers. Um, so I love that. Um, as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and the podcast, right, I really hope that others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth and really power that revenue engine. All right. So from your perspective, you know, what are the key things that organizations should think about, right, in terms of their sales enablement strategy and execution that you think will have the biggest impact on driving revenue? Right. So, so I think, I think, uh, folks, you know, so when, when you think of sales enablement and when you think of how you can drive revenue outcomes, you got to first ask yourself what outcomes you want to accomplish. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, 
focus on the metrics, right? Do you want to improve time to ramp? Do you want to improve uh, time to first deal, time to second deal, right? So if you're in the phase of growth where you're going to be hiring, then, you know, kind of be super clear on those metrics and KPIs and then build programs that are going to drive uh, and, and they're going to drive those outcomes and look for the leading indicators to help you drive those outcomes. If you, uh, if you, if you're not in a heavy new hire onboarding and you're looking to, to just kind of boost up attainment, uh, uh, you want to do that through, through looking for for levers around win rates, and so you can do a lot of peer to peer coaching. You can do a lot of uh, messaging alignment uh, stories, where folks are able to share their their, their pitch stories and uh, and 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 their win stories. But uh, I think it's so important, and that's kind of the big message is you know as enablement leaders, as operational leaders, we want everyone to be super clear on the metrics that you're trying to influence and the impact that you're trying to have. And if you can get clear on that and benchmark it, then it's going to be super easy to be able to create programs that are going to be tailored to, uh, to meet those needs. That's right. To meet those goals. That's right. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe shifting gears to, you know, as a CEO, right. And founder, yep. what are the things that you wish maybe you knew earlier, or maybe are there things that you would do differently, <laughs> right. If you had a chance to do it all over again. Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, it's funny, I, we're eight, by the time this gets out, and, and you know, <laughs> as, as this, as this has a life, we'll, we'll, we will have passed our eight years. And, oh, wow. uh, and so it, it feels like yesterday when Arthur and I were sitting down in that coffee shop meeting for the first time. Uh, and at the same time, it feels like, wow, eight years, like that's, that's time. There's some serious, t- I've been leading saleshood and Arthur and I have been partners here doing saleshood longer than my total time at Salesforce. I was at Salesforce for just under eight years Mm -hmm. and now I'm just at about eight years. And so I love the question, right? There, and I I think about it a lot. What would we do differently? You know, I think, uh, would we change the roadmap? You know, would we have taken funding? Would we not have taken funding, right? There's, there's, There's one thing that I know and I probably wouldn't have changed. You know, I think you, you have to go through the things that you do, but there's one thing that I for sure, for sure, for sure, uh, will change and I have changed. You only, well, for me personally, right? I, I think hiring and recruiting has been kind of one of the biggest areas, biggest challenging areas. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think uh, under, I, I underestimated how hard hiring the right people or recruiting the right people is uh, in the eight years. And I think, Here's the one thing I changed. Sorry, long answer, but uh, I just wanted to kind of preface it a little bit and just say there's a lot of thought that goes into this. Um, only I'd only hire people that have done the job before. I think uh, so. For example, you know, if you're looking for a VP customer success, you can't hire someone that has never been a VP customer success for a SaaS company. It's it's not going to end well, right? And, <laughs> and similarly, right, like VP marketing, right? You need if you need a VP marketing, you got to hire someone who's a professional VP marketing. And even go more specific, if you need a VP marketing that's focused on demand gen, you got to hire a VP marketing that's focused on demand gen versus a VP marketing that's focused on product marketing, mm-hmm. right? And so I share that just because over the years, like listen, every single person has come through the door. I love them all. It's 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 big virtual hugs to everyone. But sometimes things didn't work out. And, and it's because we thought we could give someone a shot. I don't know. What do you think? Right. So what do you think of that advice? Yeah. I mean, I do think that especially as in leadership roles, for sure, I mean, you have got to get the right people who have the right experience. Um, one of the things right. that I always think is interesting, having worked for, you know, mid-sized to large public companies, right, where we're huge, you know, 2000 employees, to like 80,000 employees, and then working at a startup where you're 100 people right? Kind of the different flavors. One of the things that I always think is sort of a competitive advantage, I guess, as an employee is somebody who has done some of the both, 
right, has seen a company at scale and has seen a sort of a startup. Because you know people who work in big companies who say, oh, I want to work for a startup. And, you know, they don't really know what that's like until they've actually been there. And if you've only been at a startup, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, that you can't get to scale, but it just may take you more trial and error to get there versus somebody who knows what good looks like, you know, at 100 million, at 500 million, at a billion. And, and listen, in a fast-growing market, and especially in the market that I'm in with sales enablement, time is not on my side. That's right. right? And so, <laughs> and so uh, you know, there is no trial and error, right? I, you know, you need someone that can come in. And, uh, uh, and, and, it's, and I think your comment is a great one when you emphasize in leadership roles. I think VP, director-level roles, yeah. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. ICs, with the right mentor or manager, yeah. it, it, you could come in and coach them, but then you've got to give them the time and the runway to be successful. Uh, but I think uh, long answer, you know what, make sure when you're hiring, you're clear on the profile. And, and so the one thing I would change is I would have written that rule down and had it been a core value of the business from day one mm. and, uh, and, and, uh, and followed it more diligently than I did. Yeah, that's great. More discipline, more discipline. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. Would that be, you know, if you were to give one piece of advice to like another CEO or founder, would that be your advice or would it be something else? Well, I listen, I love solving problems. And and the thing with saleshood was uh, when I was sitting down having that coffee with Arthur, because I'd been working on it for a couple months, you know, he, uh, he said, uh, great, I love the idea. I love the name, you know, and let's get started. And I said, great, I've got you know, five customers ready to go. And it's, he's like, what? I said, yes, I got five customers ready to go. They want to pay. We just got to build our, our, our V1. And, uh, and so my advice is uh, as early as you can, be clear on the problem that you're solving. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's a problem that people will pay money for and, uh, and do that sooner than later. So that way you can get, uh, uh, you, can, you can know if you're on the right track, right? So we knew we were onto something when in the first year we had paying customers. And, and that's helped that's helped fuel the business. And it's helped us also make the right decisions on roadmap, on hiring, on a lot of the areas of business. Because we could easily just like, someone want to pay for that or that? Okay, let's keep going in that direction then because they, they're paying. That's the advice I give, right? Uh, all too often, I think, like it's it's no no disrespect to, to any other startups, but I, I do come across startups that have raised a lot of money, right? We've, we've raised almost nothing, have raised a lot of money and and yet to even even be at revenue and 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 maybe they see the world a little differently but uh i think uh there's 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 some pride that arthur and i take in building a business that's cash flow positive and that is solving a real revenue problem and now in a super hot market and so uh solve a problem and get people to pay for it would be my advice. That's perfect. I love that. That's awesome. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, But as we wrap up and before I let you go, right, I'd love to know just two things, right? One, what is the one thing about Eli that others would be surprised to learn? And then two, um, and two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Okay. Something I want everyone to know about me. I love it. Well, listen, the first thing is it's, it's a funny story and it's, it's, it's a little odd, uh, but uh, I think uh, I'm not a big fan of McDonald's, right? Oh. I'm, like I don't go buy McDonald's a lot, right? I, this is personal, right? Why not? Let's have some fun. <laughs> like, but there is a sandwich at McDonald's that, regardless of you know, when I used to travel pre-COVID, and, and if, <laughs> if I'm flying through the airport and I look up and I see a McRib, oh, oh my god, I got I got to stop. 
I got to stop and I got to have a McRib, right? I, and, and now at home, I know I've learned how to make the McRibs and I can do them and, and I love them and they're great and it's awesome. So that's something <laughs> personal, something fun. That's and, awesome. And I've said, it, I've said it before in a couple of other talks and then people walk up to me and go, you're the McRib guy. I'm like, <laughs> you heard the thought. Um, I think, you know what, I think kind of full circle to, to, to kind of something we were talking about before, but uh, I said, I love music. And, and as much as I can, you know, when I start, you know, my webinars or my conferences, you know, I love kind of picking up the energy with music and I've got my, I've got a vinyl collection and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play music all night long. And even to the point, like before I get up and do speak, do, do, before I speak at events, like I'll pick a song and I'll start singing in my head just to lift me up. And so music's a huge part of my life. And, uh, and so, uh, if anyone wants to, to swap vinyl stories, I would uh, <laughs> love to do that with you. And I can't wait to get back to in-person events because when I host our next user, our next customer conference for our community, uh, I will have my turntables oh. out and I am going to play vinyl. <laughs> and I can't wait. Amazing. Definitely. Please make sure to invite me. I need to see that. You will always have an invitation <laughs> at any event I host. Thank so thank you. you for having me. Thank you. So thank you again for joining me. It's just been such a pleasure to chat with you and just learn from you. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time, for sharing your story, and for sharing your journey. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you.